Well, if you'll stand with me as we read the word of the Lord to us this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Verses 37 through 40. If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. But if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Therefore, my brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak in tongues. But all things must be done properly and in an orderly manner. Father, I pray that we as a church would experience the outpouring, the fresh infilling of your spirit. And Lord, that as that happens, we begin to remember these messages, remember what your word says about the order and uh, function of the gifts in the church. Lord, I pray that we would not forbid any gift, nor that we would seek one gift over another except, Father, that which would edify the church. Lord, I pray your spirit would fill us afresh. Lord, that your spirit would speak to us through your word this morning, that you would use the words that come from my mouth, Lord, for our encouragement, our strengthening. Lord, I have nothing of my own to offer. I pray you would give me clarity and precision in what I say that it would be to your glory and your honor. Help me not to rely on my own abilities or strengths, Lord, but to rely on you. Open our ears to hear your word, Lord. Cause our hearts to be receptive. And Lord, help us to take your word and apply it even this afternoon to our lives. Or let your word saturate our hearts. Give us a hunger and thirst for you and your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Many times we hear of abuse of the spiritual gifts. And that was one of the motivations for this series among a desire to see them functioning here and to see them functioning in our everyday life. And a lot of the issue, I believe, comes from pride. And I believe that's what Paul is dealing with in Corinth. There is a pride that has come up among the people and they have elevated certain gifts to such a height that that person is now uh, an authority in the church, whether they are actually in a role that God has given that kind of authority to. And so Paul has been laying out from chapter 12 through this passage today the function, the role, the use of the, the spiritual gifts in the church. And he starts out in chapter 12, if you remember, telling us these gifts are given by the Holy Spirit as He wills. 
Not that we should not seek them, but that it is God who gives. It's not us that attain. It is a free gift. It is not a gift that we obtain by doing certain things. Well, I am super spiritual. I did enough things this week. You know, I I prayed on, on 100 steps on my way up to this place. You know what? That's what Catholicism believes. Now, if you say a certain number of prayers on your way up to this certain uh, pilgrimage site, then you'll have that much in your bank account, your spiritual bank account. It's really how it looks like. But what God is not saying in these passages is, well, if you do enough praying, then I'll give them. No, he's saying, seek the Lord desires to give. Why? Because it is necessary for the functioning of the church. It is necessary for a unified church. It is necessary for a healthy church. If we want to be built up as a body, we need to value the gifts that God gives and not to devalue someone because they don't have the more spiritual gifts, as we like to say. They're all spiritual gifts. They're all signs of God's work in an individual's life. And it's a sign of God's work in the church as a whole. As God is working individually in us, we take responsibility for what God has given. We don't lord it over someone else. We see God's empowering us with His Spirit for a purpose. It's not for ourself to become someone. It's not so that we can do whatever we want. And that's what Paul starts off his conclusion with. He says, if anyone thinks... You think you're something. You think you're a prophet. You think you're a spiritual person. Well, here's a good sign. He says, let him recognize. Let him take note. Let him know that the things which I write to you, the things, not just what he just said about women weighing prophecy. The things that I write, I believe he's encompassing the whole book of 1 Corinthians, and I would say his writing in general. Paul is not assuming that he is inerrant. He is assuming that God's word, which has been given to him to write to the churches, is inerrant. Right? Because he says... Let him recognize that the things, this large deposit of words that I have given here in 1 Corinthians, are the Lord's commandment. That's pretty weighty. Either Paul was conceited thinking that he had God's words, and he didn't, or he 
was in truth speaking God's word to us. We have to make a decision. Are we going to decide that Paul is not inspired by God? Or are we going to say, yes, he's inspired by God. So because he's inspired, then these things should be true when the gifts flow in the church. This is how Paul is ordering. But it's not Paul. That's the key. Christ is the one through Paul who is seeking to repair problems in Corinth. Just like in the book of Revelations. I say this, the spirit of the churches, you know the letters that we see in the book of Revelations? God is speaking to John by direct revelation the words of Christ to his church. This is no different. This is why I'm not a huge fan of red letter Bibles. If you have one, don't get offended. But what are we saying when we only make red letters the words that are actually quotations of Jesus' words? We're saying that everything else is optional. Right? Because what is Paul saying? He's saying everything, all the things that I write to you. So technically, if, he's, if we're just applying this here, we could say everything that Paul has written to the church at Corinth. So 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, right, are the commandment of the Lord. They're not just Paul's whims and his opinions. There are words from the mouth of God himself. So we could take all this and put it in red. Because these are the words of the Lord, not Paul. Yes, Paul wrote it and it has the flavor of Paul all over it, but these words are inspired by God. They are breathed out by God into Paul. God has shown Paul the need of the church in Corinth from his perspective, from God's perspective, so that the church in Corinth can be built up. Paul isn't writing this letter because he thinks he knows how to reorder and repair the problems in Corinth. He's writing this letter because he knows God has shown him what the church in Corinth must have. Because this word here, recognize, is an imperative. I know you're tired of English lessons, but an imperative again is a commandment. It is not optional. He says, let him recognize he must, we could say, he must recognize that the things which I write to you are a commandment. Okay? So let me ask you this. If someone in here began to prophesy and someone else interrupted them, could we say that they are following this verse 37? 
No, they're denying the Lordship of Christ because what does Paul say? Everything should be done in order. Right? So that person thinks, well, I'm more spiritual than Joel, so I'm going to start prophesying in the middle of his prophecy. Right? I mean, Joel probably going to start prophesying soon, so (laughs) I know he wouldn't complain. We wouldn't either. But it would be easy for us to think, well, I'm, I'm more... I'm better than them, so I should start prophesying now instead of patiently waiting your turn. Waiting for the Lord to finish. So a good sign that someone is not a prophet from God and not as spiritual a spiritual person as they think is that they will constantly ignore this word that Paul has written. And I would say the word of God as a whole. I mean, we see that in the Old Testament. If they do not speak according to this word, do not believe them. Even if the signs that they prophesy come to pass. If they begin to seek to lead you astray then you know it's a lie. The devil can do a pretty good job of destroying the church. And he will do whatever he can to imitate true spiritual work of God. Why? Because if he can get us to begin to follow someone who is not led by the Lord, then what happens? We all go off the cliff with them. So if this person begins to build themselves up and not to seek the edification of the church, that's a really good sign. Let's let's say we took what Paul says here and applied it to most Christian programming. I don't have a TV at home, and I don't know what's on, if there's a Christian channel technically now. I'm sure there are probably CBN, maybe? I don't know. Is that a... I don't know. I don't watch it, so... But... All these televangelists, how would we rate them in accordance with God's Word? That's a pretty good way of determining if you should support someone. Are they seeking to be close to God's Word in their functioning and their application of God's Word to their lives? Are they saying, well, you know what? We can throw out this part. It's... It's... You know, it's uh, that's just Paul's opinion. Wait, that's just Paul's opinion? No, it's not. What did Paul say? He said, I write to you are the Lord's commandment, not mine. This is not optional. This isn't Paul's first opinions, chapter 1. This is God's clear word. Yeah, there are things in Scripture we don't totally understand. I'm not saying that, but God is true. 
We're not going to throw it out because we don't understand it. It may be we need time. And God, in time, will expose the truth to us through His Spirit. So he thinks he's a prophet. He thinks he's spiritual or she. Let that person recognize. Let them. They must recognize that these are the words that are given by the Lord, not just Paul. Paul is writing these things because the Lord is commanding them in obedience from Corinth and from us today. This is prescriptive for the church. It's not just a description of the Corinth, the church in Corinth. Now, so we don't have a problem here, we need to remember that this is not just the only things that are going on in the church in a service. Because some people want to take, well, well, then our service should be only tongues with interpretation and prophecy, and maybe some singing. That's it. No, Paul is dealing with a problem in Corinth, and so he's only describing and prescribing order for those specific issues. So what if someone says they're spiritual, but they're ignoring what Paul has said? Well, look at verse 38. But if anyone, anyone, Paul, really? Anyone? Well, isn't there someone that's above? Maybe, maybe, um, you know, maybe if, if the person is, popular enough or has a big enough following, has done enough miracles, this doesn't apply to them. No. Paul says, if anyone does not recognize this, this word recognize is the opposite of recognize. Pretty obvious, but it's better translated if anyone ignores this refuses to take note of this. This isn't, oh, I'm, I'm ignorant of this. No, this is willful disobedience to this truth of God's lordship over the church. And an unwillingness to do what Paul has said. Paul is laying out a pretty hard line here. He's saying, I know there are people in your church who will not recognize this. Why would Paul put it in here? Because there are going to be people, and there are already people who are trying to create parties in the church. I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of name the name. It's almost like a political party in the church. Well, I'm, a, I'm not going to start naming names, but in reality, they're, they're trying to build themselves up. They're not, guess what? Having parties and cliques and, and groups that you prefer in the church, 
It's a natural thing, but it's not spiritual. Right? Because that doesn't build up the church, it just divides. Look at our nation. We have this thing on the Kentucky flag. Do you know what it says? Yeah, united we stand, divided we fall. Unfortunately, most people in our country don't believe that. They think, divided we stand, united we fall. We can't have unity. But that's not truth. That is a lie from the pit of hell. I'm not saying that our state is inerrant, but they chose a good, uh, I don't know what that is, a slogan or... I'm not sure what that's called, but motto, motto, that's the word. They chose a good motto, and it's actually based in biblical truth. When someone in the church decides they want more attention than someone else, and there becomes these cliques based on personalities, what happens is the church divides and falls. Because the problem is they are no longer, we are no longer unified in Christ. We're unified in name the person. Well, I'm unified because I like those people. No, God didn't call us together because we like each other or because we would personally hang out together before church or before Christ got a hold of us. I'm pretty sure Paul, uh, Joel and I would not have hung out very often. Well, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> he would have beat me too much in uh, video games, I'm sure. <laughs> so I probably wouldn't have because I wouldn't have been beat that often. But generally speaking, the people that we have in our churches shouldn't be people that we would automatically hang out with. Not that they... The work that God does in us wants us, causes us to want to be together. But we shouldn't seek, go around looking for a church that's just like what we are. Oh, this is a church full of carpenters. Oh, yeah, I can hang out with those people. Yeah, it's nice. It makes conversation easy, but... What if you walked into a church full of plumbers? You're going to walk out? Oh, I don't want to associate with those people. Or maybe Mr. Guillory walks into a church full of FedEx drivers. <laughs> or UPS people. Oh, I can't hang out with those people. No, God has called us to be a church that is diverse. We are following one source, Christ. And so... He is the command, and because of that, when we choose to ignore His Word as truth, guess what happens? Paul says, if anyone does not recognize, or if anyone ignores this that I've just said about Christ being the one that has commanded these things that I've written, He is not recognized. That's a pretty harsh statement. So you, you want to 
create a personality cult and people follow you around because you were spiritually elite? You want to create that? Well, guess what? You're not recognized. You say, well, who cares? Who cares if Paul does it? He's, he's, he's gone. Do you think this just applies to Paul not recognizing this person? What about, well, maybe it just applies to the church. The church of Corinth isn't going to recognize that person. Maybe that's not so bad. You can move to Ephesus. All right? Well, it's not that close, but hey, you know, if you want to be a part of the church and rule, I mean, we can just move. No, the problem here is who's the one giving the command? Is it Paul? Is it the church at Corinth? No, it's the Lord. So if you choose to ignore the word of God, then God will ignore you. This is a harsh statement. This is judgment. You want to ignore God's word this morning? Not just here, but really in general. You, you choose to not live according to God's word. Guess what? He will ignore you. You want to continue to revel in your control over your life, over your family, over whatever it may be, and not submit yourself to His control in your life, submit yourself to His commands. You can ignore these things, but be warned, God will ignore you. It's not either or. You can't ignore God and say, well, God will, you know, just... Let me slide by. No, we must obey the Lord. Jesus constantly is saying, if you love me, you will show up to church on Sunday? Is that what he said? You'll constantly tell people, well, I got saved when I was two weeks old. I'm being facetious, but how many times do you hear people say, well, you, you try to share the gospel with them, and, oh yeah, I, I prayed when I was five years old. And you look at them, and the way they're dressed, or the way that they're acting, or the odor that's coming from them because they just did something that's not legal. Maybe they're drunk, high, whatever. And they look at you, oh yeah, I, made a, I, I said a prayer. What? So a prayer is all, man, whew, we just need to throw this out then. If, if a prayer is all we need, I think there's a song out there uh, by a, a famous Christian. It, isn't it a famous Christian? Living on a prayer? Isn't he a famous? Oh, oh, wait, he's not a famous Christian. Yeah, for this whole time, I thought Bon Jovi was a Christian. I think that's who sings. I don't, I don't know. But isn't that how a lot of Christians act like? They're living on a prayer. They're, not, they're actually not living by God's word. They're living by whatever feels good. 
One day they're going to stand before God and God is going to say, I never knew you. You ignored my words. I sent so-and-so to you. I sent that person to you. They spoke the truth of my word according to my command. And you ignored me. Guess what hell is going to be like? Can you imagine being ignored for eternity? That's what it's going to be. No presence of God. We think in our world that there are times in our world that how could there have been a presence of God? Like, could you imagine being in Auschwitz? I mean, pure evil. Yet somehow God's presence was still there. Just think about the people there who were believers. Corey Ten Boom. God was still there. In their lives, God was still there. There was still a little salt, a little light. But one day, there will be no more salt and light. And you will spend an eternity in darkness utter darkness that's what being ignored is like so we need to be sure i know this is not a typical salvation message it's just this is what paul is saying in it and i can't ignore it here we must submit ourselves to the word of god we cannot pick and choose what we want and don't want We need to submit ourselves and realize that God knows what we need better than we know what we need. God knew exactly what the church of Corinth needed. And so when he had Paul write this letter, Paul wrote exactly what God wanted them to hear and what we today need to hear. So submit ourselves to His Word. So therefore, in light of this, that this is the command of God, therefore, my brethren, Paul says, desire earnestly. This is the root word for zealously desire. To prophesy. Desire this. This has been the point of chapter 14. Why should we earnestly desire prophecy according to Paul? Because it builds up the church. That's been the whole point of these three chapters. Doing that which is edifying the church is loving. Chapter 13. The love chapter Right? We hear it all at the sermons for a wedding, but when it comes to actually using the spiritual gifts, suddenly we don't think love is necessary. What if loving your brother and sister requires that you take a step of faith and begin to obey God's command and to prophesy? You love... This church, 
the people that God has put you together with, then earnestly desire to prophesy. Don't just sit back and say, well, if it happens, it'll be okay. No, I, I want this for us. I, I earnestly desire to see each of us functioning in the gifts that God gives. Not so that we can get comfortable. Not so that nothing will change here. I want it because I know that God will use the gifts to create a healthy church that is reaching out to the lost, that faces we've never seen darken a door of a church before would come here and God would begin to open their eyes to the truth. Desire earnestly to prophesy. And I think the church in Corinth has a problem. They like to swing the pendulum all the way to the other side when they make changes. So Paul's given them a little warning. Do not forbid. Or do not hinder. Ooh. How do you think this would fly in most non-charismatic churches. This word doesn't just mean forbid. It means do not hinder. To speak in tongues. <gasps> Can you imagine if I said that from the pulpit of the seminary I went to on chapel day? I bet you 75% of the people in the room would get up and walk out. A seminary that argues stringently for taking God's word as it is and finding the plain meaning of what God is saying would produce that many people who would walk out, including the president. If he was... I can't imagine ever being invited to preach there, just so you know. <laughs> but... Do not forbid to speak in tongues. So I have a question. What if... What if we went... A whole year as a church and didn't see a single person speak in tongues, even in prayer. Would that be a problem to you? Would that cause you to be extremely concerned? What about prophecy? See, this is the problem that I have and I'm not against tongues you know that I speak in tongues I believe it's a prayer language God has given and I believe that we should see interpretation but why aren't we seeing prophecy is it possible that we 
think we've arrived because we speak in tongues at prayer meeting and, and at home? I don't know. I don't know why. But I, I do think that we have valued one gift and we think, well, we've arrived. I don't, I'm not trying to be judgmental. Please, please don't write home. Don't tell everybody that I've gone Baptist on you, okay? Even though there are Baptist churches that are charismatic now. But in reading this, I was concerned, wait, as a church, we would be extremely upset if somebody forbid speaking in tongues for a year, or if it didn't happen, but then... What if the thing that Paul is saying we should earnestly desire, we haven't experienced in my, I don't know the last time that I heard a prophecy. In all honesty. A true one. Is there the same amount of urgency for prophecy as there is for speaking in tongues? I think the difference with tongues is it's a gift, especially as a prayer language, it's when it's given, you want to pray in tongues. Whereas prophecy, we, we don't seek it as much. We, we get drawn away. We, we are encouraged, but then we're, we're not sure what to do. I want to see God move here. And it's going to be more than just speaking in tongues. You look at the day of Pentecost and you see an outpouring of God's Spirit. And a hundred plus people are speaking in languages they have never learned. And they're proclaiming the wonders of God. So much so that when Peter gets up to preach, you know, that fisherman that ditched his Lord at the cross, who denied him three times, who was uneducated, preached a sermon that was so powerful by this power of the Spirit that 3,000 people came to Christ. You say, well, man, they're full. They don't need anything else. Two, I think it's less than two chapters later, they're asking God to give them more courage and boldness in their witness. And guess what happens? The Spirit is poured out again. They're, it's almost like they're refilled. Not that they were emptied of the Spirit. But I think there is a problem in the sense that we have valued one gift as a sign of being full and forgotten that the, even the apostles needed to be filled afresh. I don't think we stop being filled. We can only pour out what's been poured in. It's almost like, well, I said a prayer. We need to be 
constantly refreshed in his spirit. I do believe that God will give prophecy to those who desire. To us, if we earnestly seek his gifts, not for our own fame or power or money, but for his glory, because we desire to see a healthy, vibrant church. That doesn't mean that every seat in this church has to be full. But a church where men and women are growing, there may be growing pains. There may be sin that has to be dealt with, and it probably will be. But a church where we are building up one another, seeing God's work in each other's lives and being drawn together. Because the days are coming when coming together will not be easy anymore. Where the choice of going to a church building will not be possible. It will be going to one another's homes. D.A. Carson said this about this section. He says, the Corinthians may purchase their own self-interested definitions of what is spiritual and run the risk of being ignored by God. Or they may recognize afresh that their confession of Jesus as Lord is not only the significant criterion of the Spirit's presence, but something that can be tested by enthusiastic obedience to the Lord's commands mediated through the apostle. I'll read it again. The Corinthians may purchase their own self-interested definitions. Or we could say, we could try to purchase what we think is spiritual and run the risk of being ignored by God. Or the Corinthians may recognize afresh that their confession of Jesus as Lord is not only the significant criterion of the Spirit's presence, but something that can be tested by enthusiastic obedience to that Lord's commands. You want to know if someone's spiritual? Are they enthusiastic about obeying God? Are we enthusiastically Earnestly seeking to prophesy? Are we earnestly and enthusiastically not forbidding to speak in tongues? Are spiritual gifts? Are we earnestly and enthusiastically seeking that verse 40 happens, but all things must be done properly in an orderly manner? Is that what we want? Is that what we desire? Do we desire with all our heart to please God? To do what God is commanding through Paul's writing to us? To love one another as Christ has loved us so that we would be built up? That His Spirit would flow through each of us?
Our God is a God of order, peace, dignity. That doesn't mean we have to all dress very, you know, I don't know if you're supposed to do the top button. I don't feel like you should, but, you know, and with your fedora or hat on and, well, you wouldn't do that in the, in the church because that would be improper. But, you know, it doesn't mean we all have to come in here looking a specific way and sing a very orderly song. That is, Paul is not saying, oh, throw out spontaneity. Don't let the Spirit move. You know, we're just going to trust that our planning is the Spirit moving and anything outside of that is not of Him. That's how a lot of churches function. We don't swing the pendulum to such an extent where we don't allow the Spirit to move. We don't allow the Spirit, but we realize that when God says, let all things be done properly and in an orderly manner, it's not that we don't have a plan. We are We plan... And we leave the Lord to guide. Leave space to say, you know what, Lord? This is what we think is going to happen. But if you begin to move, you begin to move at the beginning of the service and somebody starts prophesying and then someone else and then a third person and, oh, we need to weigh that as a body together. You know what? I can cut that sermon shorter. Or we can cut the singing shorter. I, or maybe let's, let's just skip lunch. I don't see any smiles. Uh, apparently lunch is too important. I, I hear if you go to some African American churches, you better eat a good breakfast because <laughs> lunch isn't coming too soon. Sometimes you go to churches in Guatemala and it'll be a long service. But if God began to move in our midst and we did things in an orderly manner and it ended up being a day-long service, would you still be here when the Spirit stopped moving? I hope so. Yeah, my kids may not understand what's going on. Maybe hope that we had snacks in the car. Call DoorDash, get some food in here for the kids. (laughs) But I do pray that through this series, we have been encouraged to see the purpose of spiritual gifts. That is to edify the church and to glorify God ultimately. That we've seen its application, especially here in chapter 14, of order and and doing things properly. I pray that we realize that this these giftings are not something we earn. It is the giving of the Holy Spirit and we we earnestly seek those things, but we cannot make them happen. 
If I could leave us with one thing, I think earnest desire and expectation is what we need desperately, myself included. Because Paul doesn't just say it here. Remember verse 31 of chapter 12, he says, But earnestly desire the greater gifts. And then verse 14, chapter 14, verse 1. Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts. Of course, now he says, desire earnestly to prophesy. Paul is not saying we shouldn't desire all the spiritual gifts, but he's saying this one is most especially good for the building up of the church. But not to the extent that we say, well, uh, we have no need for tongues in our church. Earnestly seek. What does the Bible say about when you seek the Lord? What happens? Find Him. Why? Because you don't naturally seek Him. He causes us to desire, Lord, I want to see you move. Not just in my life, I want to see it in my brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to see men and women who are hungering and thirsting after God and finding Him like the well that never runs dry. I know for, for me, I've felt like some of us feel like the well is, is dry. Maybe, maybe we've got some enemies who are throwing dirt in the well. Remember Jacob? He'd dig a well and then somebody would fill it up with people of Israel. We have a well that does not run dry. But if we're constantly being reminded of what things used to be, instead of saying, Lord, we need a fresh move of your spirit. Not something that's outside of your word. We need a fresh move of your spirit. It's going to look different than it looked 20 years ago. It may have a lot of similarities to 20 years ago. But we need you to move. We need a fresh filling of your spirit. I do pray that that is our prayer as we end this series on spiritual gifts, that we earnestly seek. Let's pray. Father, we desire to live according to your word. Lord, we desire to see your spirit move. And Lord, we have seen your word these last few months and how you desire and how much we need your spirit to flow in the gifts in the church. We need to be built up. 
help each of us to see our responsibility to earnestly seek so that each joint is applying and relying on your spirit to move. Unite us, Lord. Deepen a hunger and a thirst for you in each of us. Do not leave us alone. Lord, we want boldness to share the good news with our lost neighbors. Or we desire courage to be your witnesses wherever we go. But Lord, we need your Spirit's fresh infilling. Lord, give us that hunger and thirst. A hunger and thirst that will not be quenched with anything that is not you. A hunger and thirst that will only be quenched by that which is the fullness of your presence. Give us courage to step out when you begin to move. Give us wisdom as a church to properly weigh and function in your gifts. Lead us by your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, pray you enjoy the continued rain. I guess spring was a couple months late. <laughs> um, I'm not complaining on a, for an 80-degree day after a couple weeks of very hot temperatures. Have a blessed day, and I do pray that God would continue to awaken and develop a zealousness for His move here and in your lives at home, and that it would lead to a moment where we just want to hang out all the time. We may not get much work done, but <laughs> that the Lord would begin to move, and we would begin to see God's work in our midst, physically, spiritually, emotionally, every, every area of our lives. So we'll see. I think I'll be gone next week, so be praying for us. We're going up to New York State. Um, so pray we come back without too much taxes on our... <laughs> No, uh, going to see Megan's grandparents. So, uh, yep. Okay. Okay, we can pray for that. Anything else before we go to pray for? Okay, let's pray. Father, just pray that you would be with the counselors and help and Everyone that is pouring into preparing the time this weekend, this upcoming weekend, 
um, for Fugin Camp. Lord, we pray that your spirit would be poured out there and that the young people would be awakened and called to a deeper walk with you. Those who aren't Christians but think they are, that they would see the depth of their sin and their need for Savior. For those who are have been saved but are not walking holy with you, Lord, that they would be convicted and transformed. Those who are dealing with uh, addictive sins, Lord, that they would be set free. Lord, I pray that you would give the speakers and the counselors and all those there wisdom and discernment as they talk with each of these young people that they would be able to give sound counsel and encourage them in the right way, Lord. I pray, Lord, your spirit would move. That your peace would just rest over Nate and Lynette's home and the homes of the people that uh, these young people will be staying at. Or that your joy would fill them and that your presence would be evident. Lord, cause all to be done for your glory and the building up of your church, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.